So when I was a kid, uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and so he had to travel a lot for work, fairly often. And, um, and I remember whenever he would get home, my siblings and I, we were always excited to see him. And so we'd run to the door, you know, like, Dad's home, Dad's home, and we'd be so fired up. But the first thing that we would say to him when we would get through the door, it was never like, I love you, or we missed you so much. It was, what, what? What was the first thing out of our mouth? What did you, what did you get me? What did you get me? And so my dad, he very patiently, he would set down his bags and he would look up at us and he would go, me. And we'd say, aw. So we were really good kids. Um, and so now I'm a parent. And so, you know, periodically I have to travel for work. And so, so I'll get home and my little, my kids are like this high, you know, and so they run to the door, mom's home, mom's home. But what's the first thing out of their mouth? What did you bring us? What did you get me? What did you get me? And so I put my stuff down and I say, me. And they look up at me with their sweet little faces and they say, and you are all we need. <laughs> all right, y'all, my kids are two and four, so I'm gonna let you see like straight through that one. All right, we've all experienced this. Maybe you've experienced it as a child. Maybe you've experienced it on the parent side. Maybe like me, you've experienced it on both sides. But in one way or another, we all experience this because we're kind of hardwired for this mentality. We're kind of hardwired from birth for this, this what do I get and how do I get it mentality. And when we're children, we get a pass, right? Because we're supposed to be dependent on the adults in our lives. That's the way that it's supposed to work. But where it gets problematic is when this, this perspective, when this mentality starts to leak into our adult relationships. And I think we've all seen this be problematic because it's impossible, it is impossible to have an authentic relationship with someone from, your, from whom you're always trying to get something. I'm gonna say that again because it's important. It is impossible to have an authentic relationship with someone from whom you are always trying to get something. It just doesn't work. It's this weird, incongruent relationship. And this mentality, it can leak into our relationship with God, and sometimes we don't even realize it. And that's what I want us to talk about today as we continue with our Bystander series. And so over the last uh, few weeks, we have been working through an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus that's recorded in the biblical book of John, right? And John, he wrote what he wrote so that we, in our mind's eyes, we might be able to see what he saw and we might be able to hear what he heard so that we might believe in Jesus the same way that he did. Because John understood that seeing is believing. That's why he wrote down what he did. And this is so important because God never asks anyone to take anything on faith alone. God never asks anyone to believe anything without a reason to believe. The true historic Christian faith is always in something or in someone. Our faith is in Jesus based upon accounts from people who actually saw him perform miraculous signs. We believe what we believe because of what was seen. We believe what we believe because of credible eyewitness accounts of people who were actually there, or what we're calling in this series, bystanders, because seeing is believing. And today, our friend John, he wants to help us shift our what do I, what do I get and how do I get it perspective. 
All right, so so far in, our book of jo- in the book of John, um, we've been following around kind of the ministry and the life of Jesus. And, uh, and so Jesus is with his 12 disciples and they're traveling around and they're, Jesus is teaching, he's saying incredible things, they're healing people, he's performing these miraculous signs. And so far in the book of John, we've seen him turn water into wine, We've seen him heal a sick child that was likely gonna die. And we also have seen him um, heal a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He told him to get up and walk. And so Jesus, while he was 100% man, he was also, or he was 100% God, he was also 100% a person like you and I. And so he's been traveling around with his 12 disciples. He's been working really hard. And y'all, he's worn out. Just like you and I, we need a break sometimes. Jesus needed a break too. And so he and his 12 disciples, they travel up several days to the Sea of Galilee, and they get on a boat and they travel across to a really remote area, kind of hoping to get just a a little bit of a breather, right? They're kind of trying to go on vacation. But despite their best efforts, the word gets out about where Jesus is, and thousands of people show up. And so let's jump in right here. We're in John 6. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. All right, they're there because they saw the signs that he had performed, or maybe they had heard about the signs that they had performed. And they're thinking to themselves, you know, maybe, maybe if I go see Jesus, maybe I can get a miracle too. Or maybe at the very minimum, I could, hear, I could maybe see one of these cool tricks that I keep hearing about. What can I get and how can I get it? And Jesus, he knew why they were coming. They wanted something. So next verse, then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. All right, these seem like kind of two weird details, but I kind of love these two details because first, it tells us that Jesus needed to go and sit down. He needed to have a rest. It's so very relatable because he was so very human. And the second detail I think we need to notice is that it tells us that the Jewish Passover a festival was, was near. And this is really significant for us today. So I'm gonna give you like 20 seconds of history really quick. And so the Passover was when the people of Israel, when the Jewish people, when they celebrated uh, and they remembered how God had used a man named Moses to free them from captivity, from Egyptian slavery some 1,500 years before. All right, it's a lot like why we celebrate the 4th of July. But their circumstances had changed significantly in those 1,500 years. And they once again found themselves captive, once again. But this time to the Roman Empire, they were, being, they were, they were captive in their own homes. And each passing year reminded them of their need for another Moses. Right, someone else to come and to free them from their captives. Someone else to come and give them uh, what they wanted. And many in that crowd, they believed that that new Moses was Jesus. Many in that crowd believed that Jesus had come to free them from their captivity, to, free, to give them what they wanted. Right, what do I get and how do I get it? All right, so Jesus, he's sitting there with his disciples and he's having a rest and thousands and thousands of people keep showing up in front of him. And so Jesus looks at one of his disciples named Philip and he throws a curveball at him. All right, he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
And it's kind of funny why he asks Philip specifically, because Philip is actually from that region. All right, so this is like when you're going to visit somewhere new and you ask your buddy who's from there, like, hey, where are the good places to eat, right? Like, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's asking Philip because Philip would know. But remember, this is the first century. And so even if there is a place nearby where they can get bread, it certainly doesn't have the Chick-fil-A type efficiency, right, to pump out enough food for the thousands of people that are showing up. And so, what happens next is Phil, uh, Philip answers him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. What he's saying here is, short answer, nowhere, Jesus. Do you see all these people? There is nowhere that we can get food for all of these people. And so another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? You know, I don't think Andrew was actually trying to be helpful here. I think he's trying to make a point. Because Jesus is going like, all right, we're gonna do this. What do we got? And so Andrew goes and steals some poor kid's lunch and goes this, we have this. All right, we have nothing. We have nothing to give these people. But Jesus doesn't skip a beat. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And so something to note here is the reason it specifically mentions 5,000 men was because this number would have been significant to the people in the first century because 5,000 men was the equivalent of a Roman legion. This would have been a metric that almost everyone was familiar with. But we know that there weren't just men there. We know that there were also women and children there as well. And so it's estimated that there were upwards of 20,000 people who were present there that day. All right, for some perspective, the AT&T Center holds 19,000 people, all right? And you know how long it takes to get out of that parking lot. There were a lot of people there. And Andrew has just walked up with five loaves and two fish, and Jesus says, great, let's do this. All right, y'all, that would be like me walking in here today and going, hey guys, I'm so glad you're here with us today. Guess what, I got us breakfast taco. Not breakfast tacos, with an S, breakfast taco. All right, and you guys watching over in the video cafe and everybody watching live on Facebook right now, hey, why don't y'all come on over right now, we're gonna have breakfast taco. All right, it just wouldn't work. But watch what happens next. And so Jesus, he took the loaves and he gave thanks. And he distri- and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. All right, y'all, they didn't pull up wagons full of supplies. The food trucks didn't roll in at that point. He took five small barley loaves and two small fish and fed 20,000 people. All right, can you imagine this scene? I imagine this little boy, I have a son who's four years old, and and I kind of imagine him, and my son loves to count things, and so that's how I imagine this, this small boy, as they take and they start to distribute his lunch, and he counts as the first loaves come out, right? He counts one, two, three, four, five, and he thinks to himself, that's it. It's gone now. That was it. But then he watches as another comes out, and another after that, and another another after that. And he watches as Jesus takes the small lunch that he had, 
and uses it to feed more people than he's probably ever seen in the entirety of his life. And not just feed them a little bit. He fed them all as much as they wanted. How incredible. And so when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. All right, I'm no math major, y'all, but if Jesus had five loaves and he had two fish, he fed 20,000 people with 12 baskets left over. All right, this is like one of those terrible word problems that you get when you're in school, right? <laughs> Except we're at church, so we know the answer is Jesus. We just don't know how to show our work here. This was an incredible thing that had just happened. And you guys remember how John had noted that this was right before the Passover. We talked about this just a minute ago, right? It's like a week before the Passover is, is gonna happen. And this is so important to our story because these people, these Jewish people, they were waiting for a new Moses. And this story of Moses would have been a story that every single Jewish person would have known so intimately well. They would have heard it over and over again as children. They would have heard it every single year when they celebrated Passover. They would have known this story very well. And so they would have known that when Moses led the people out of Egypt, that God provided food for them too. But he provided them only exactly what they needed for the day. But Jesus... Jesus had provided them more than enough. And they ate as much as they wanted. And then there was so much food left over that they had to gather 12 baskets full of food afterwards. And this would have caused these people to ask this question. It would have caused them to ask themselves, who is this guy? Who is this man who can turn water into wine? Who is this man who can heal sick people with just a word? Who is this man who can feed tens of thousands of people with one small boy's lunch and have more left over than what he started with? After the people saw the sign that Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And in that moment, they turned their attention away from the sign. They turned their attention away from the fact that they had been fed, and they began to consider who the sign was pointing to. And for a moment, they weren't asking, what do I get and how do I get it? Instead, they were looking at Jesus and standing in awe. For a moment, they saw him, but it wouldn't last for long. And so Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountains by himself. All right, now I know this seems like a weird left turn, right? Like the people showed up, he fed them all, they're all in awe of Jesus, and now all of a sudden he's running off because they're gonna make him king? Like how did we get there? But this makes perfect sense if we just take a look at what we already know. All right, y'all, there was an army-sized group of people there. And they've just watched Jesus do something incredible. And they begin to see an opportunity to get what they wanted. And what they wanted more than anything else was to be out from under Roman rule. Right? They wanted a revolution. They wanted to overflow, overthrow the Roman government. 
And they believed that, this, that there was a new Moses standing in front of them who could free them from their oppressors. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking, what can I get and how can I get it? And Jesus knew this. Right, he could feel the energy in the crowd. He could hear what it was that they were saying. And so he withdrew again by himself because he had no desire to be a conquering king. It wasn't why he had come. And so the next day, we're gonna fast forward to the next day, and Jesus and his disciples, they go back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But like almost always happens, the crowd finds them there again. But what they didn't know yet was that Jesus was about to thin this crowd because he's about to start calling some people out. In fact, he's about to start calling some of us out. I know for sure he's about to start calling me out. And so I wonder, have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you've said something like this, I certainly know I have, say something along the lines of, you know, I used to go to church, but I wasn't really getting anything out of it. I used to pray, but I wasn't really getting anything out of it. I used to give, I used to serve, wasn't really getting anything out of it. And the point that Jesus is about to make is that as long as it's about getting something out of it, you don't really understand it. As long as we're still trying to get something out of it, we're still those children running to the front door yelling, what did you get me? What did you get me? What do I get? And how do I get it? And so we're gonna jump in it's, uh, at verse 625. When they found him on the other side of the lake, this is the crowd, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? All right, Jesus responds by saying, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. All right, what Jesus is saying is, you're not here for me. You're here to get something from me. You want another meal, right? You're here for the food. And so Jesus starts to lean into this crowd a little bit, and he's trying to give them some perspective. And so he says, do not work for. What he means is do not work for, do not live for, do not focus on, do not work for food that spoils. All right, Jesus is saying, I need you to see beyond the sign. I need you to see beyond the five loaves and the two fish. I need you to see beyond what's in the moment. I need you to see beyond the food. It says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. What he's saying is, don't just see the sign. See who the sign is pointing to. See me. Stop looking for what you can get and start looking at who I am. Stop focusing on the temporary things. Stop focusing on a meal that's gonna fill your belly just for a moment. And look at me, because I offer a food that lasts for eternity. I offer something that will never spoil. I offer eternal life. See me. And when I get to this point of the story, I always so badly wanna think that they're gonna get it. They think they're gonna look back at Jesus and go, oh, we understand. But look at what it says next. And so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? 
Like, okay, Jesus, I think we're kind of getting there. Like, man, I'm like right on the edge, but if you could just do like one more cool trick, if you could just like do like one more thing, then, then maybe we could believe. And when I read this part of the, of, of the story, I get so frustrated with them because I'm like, you just saw a major miraculous sign, not just, not 12 hours ago. And all you're looking for is another trick. All you're looking for is another meal. But if I'm being really honest, I've done this exact same thing. And maybe you have too. You know, we say, God, if you would just, you know, then I would believe. God, if you would just fix my marriage, you know, then I would come to church. God, if you would just fix my finances, you know, then, then I might be generous. God, if you would fix my mom's health, you know, then I could have faith. If you would just fix my addiction, you know, God, then I could worship. God, if you would just fix my problems, then I could believe. God, if you would just give me what I want. And what Jesus is saying to them is this. Stop looking for what you can get. It's temporary. Look at who I am. Because right now, you're missing it. You're missing me. And I think that some of us might be missing it too. Because we're just sitting around and we're waiting for the next sign. We're waiting for the next miracle. We're waiting for the next path to be cleared. We're waiting to get what we want. And we're just like kids again and we're running to that front door. We're yelling, what did you get me? What did you get me? And Jesus is standing there in front of us saying, I got you me. I gave you me. I gave you me so that in me you can have eternal life. I gave you me so that you can thrive in this life. I gave you me so that you no longer have to be a slave to sin. I gave you me so that you no longer have to be alone. I gave you me so that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. I got you me. God gave us everything we needed and everything that he wanted to give us when he gave us Jesus because he gave us himself. And if we would let this go from our heads to our hearts, oh, it would be huge because we would stop asking what do I get and how do I get it? And we would start asking how can I know Jesus more? How can I follow him more closely? How can I become more like him? How can I learn to see him? And our energy, our energy would shift away from the what can I get and what do I get and how do I get it? And it would shift towards doing what Jesus taught us to do. It would shift towards loving God and loving people. It would shift towards putting others first. It would shift towards living with purpose. And now y'all really quick, I just need to say this. What I'm not saying here is I'm not saying to not bring your problems before God. I'm not saying tonight, you know, that's part of an authentic relationship is you bring the good, the bad, the ugly in front of the other person. That's the way an authentic relationship works. What I am saying is that we need to shift our perspective from what can I get, what do I get and how do I get it and start focusing on who Jesus is and growing closer to him. 
It's a matter of perspective. And so this is what I want you to do today. Some of you have never believed in this man named Jesus, but you've been hearing these stories about him and in your mind's eye, you've been able to see these incredible things that he's done because seeing is believing and you're beginning to see who he is and you're starting to believe in him. We're gonna pray in just a second. I'm gonna pray with you uh, here in just a second. And some of us, some of us have believed for a really long time, maybe for five minutes, for 50 years, I don't know, just somewhere in the mix. We've believed for a while, but we've lost this perspective. All right, we've lost view of the Savior for the stuff. And so your call to action is the same. It's to look up and say, Jesus, I see you. Not just what you can give me, not just what I want, I see you. It is impossible to have an authentic relationship from someone, uh, from someone that we're always trying to get something. It just doesn't work. The only way to have an authentic relationship with Jesus is to stop pursuing what we can get and to start pursuing who he is. Will you guys pray with me? God, right now, I thank, you so, I thank you that we can gather together and we can learn more about who you are, God, through these eyewitnesses' accounts of your life, God, because seeing is believing, God. I thank you that you've given us the ability to be able to see what it what is that you did, God, what it is that you did for us. Thank you, God, that you gave us everything we need and everything that you wanted to give us when you gave us Jesus because you gave us yourself. And so right now, I wanna, I wanna pray with those of you who have never believed before, but right now you're ready to do that. You're, you're, you've seen with your, with your mind's eye, you've seen these incredible things that Jesus did and you're beginning to see him. I just want you to simply say under your breath, in your mind, whatever that looks like, if that's you, I want you to say, Jesus, I see you. And Jesus, I believe in you. And for those of us who have been believers for a long time, whether it's five minutes or 50 years, this, the call to action is the same. I want you to say out loud or in your mind or whatever is right for you, I want you to say, Jesus, I see you. I see you. Not just what you can give me, not just what I want, Jesus, I see you. Thank you, God, that you give us everything that it is that we need. Thank you that we can gather and worship together and learn more about you. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray, amen. And so if you said, Jesus, I see you, I believe in you for the very first time today, I have really great news for you because that's it. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, it means that we're given a food that lasts for all eternity, that we get to spend an eternity in heaven with God, that we don't have to be separated from him anymore, that we don't have to be alone, that we can thrive, that we can live our lives with purpose. And if that's you today, and you're looking, you're going, okay, Sherry, well, what do I do next? We have baptisms coming up here in just a few weeks. And if that's you today, your next step might be to, to be baptized, which is just an outward expression of your inward decision to believe in Jesus. If you have questions about that or you're ready to sign up, head to the connection point right after the service, and we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to get baptized. Or you can jump on right here at city.church baptism, and you can uh, get registered right now to get baptized. You guys, thank you guys for being here with us. Uh, Pastor Brent's gonna be back with us next week continuing our bystander series. You guys have a great week.